In today's episode, we're going to be talking about whether the hype surrounding VR and AR matches its potential, and about how the technologies are being built for much more than just entertainment. I talked to an analyst from Gartner and a researcher at the University of Rochester to find out how far along the two technologies are and where they're headed. Virtual reality and augmented reality, abbreviated as VR and AR, are often grouped into the same phrase. It's important to know that the paths of both technologies have been rather different and have been developed for different use cases over time. As one of our guests later describes, VR is a way to disconnect from your world, and AR is about integrating into your own natural world and building on it. VR has other use cases other than just gaming. It lets you sit in on a live concert of your favorite artist, or lets employers simulate how they'd handle firing a hypothetical employee sitting right across from them. Meanwhile, in AR, companies such as Scanta, NextNow, Viren IT, as well as the big names such as Apple and Google are investing heavily in AR. Apple recently launched its AR Kit 3, Reality Composer, and Reality Kit that allows developers to create interactive AR with no prior 3D knowledge. The world also saw the gaming potential of AR with Pokemon Go, a viral trend that swept the nation in the summer of 2016, when swarms of people glued to their smartphones stormed places like Central Park to try to find rare Pokemon on their phones. So to find out where the technologies really stand and what it will take to gain widespread adoption, I talked to Tuong Nguyen, Senior Principal Analyst at Gartner. Maturity of AR is not necessarily in its infancy, but in its adolescence. And what I mean by that is it's well out of the labs. As you point out, we are starting to see it in a number of different use cases uh, applied across numerous verticals, as you mentioned, right? Uh, logistics, supply chain, manufacturing, healthcare, et cetera. Some of those use cases that we're talking about, whether it is a procedural task or a situational type video, uh, is bringing this value to a lot of these hands busy workforce hands-busy sections of the workforce, right? Uh, Whereas on the consumer side, there's some challenges there, right? I I think one of the biggest is probably the uh, user interface itself. Um, There aren't really, and and, and this can can be argued, but there aren't really much choice in terms of uh, fashionable and kind of ergonomic type head-mounted displays for consumer uh, and the Alternative is using your phone or tablet, which really isn't that great of an experience as far as immersion goes. What are some of the most interesting use cases that you see happening now in terms of implementing AR into enterprises? Some of the more viable uh, and practical use cases that, again, organizations are are, are adopting and saying, hey, look, uh, this makes sense. This is either going to make us money or save us money. We're going to use it. Uh, One, as I mentioned before, procedural tasks, right? So you have some kind of checklist. Uh, For example, if you're doing a warehouse operation and you have a pick pack list, right? It tells me as the worker, okay, here are your uh, 10 pick pack. Uh, items, right? And I can go pick them. And if the order changes halfway through, uh, I don't end up, you know, picking a whole bunch of uh, non-essential items and then having to restock them and then find the new ones, right? So saving me some time there. Um, So that's the procedural task. You can also think about it in terms of doing a repair or maintenance task. That's also procedural, right? Tuang, your job is to maintain this piece of machinery. Here are the 10 steps to do it. Um, Now, we're not only talking about uh, new members of the team, uh, but even veteran members, right? It doesn't hurt to have that visual reminder to say, here are the steps, right? Don't forget these steps. Because um, I imagine, you know, 
for any job when you do it over the course of the day, at, at some point we all lose focus, right? No matter what your job is, whether it's, you know, writing a research note, um, writing an article, doing a podcast, uh, we all lose some focus. So it doesn't hurt to have that uh, checklist, right, for the procedural tasks. The other one is situational video that we were talking about. So similar idea where you have someone in the field and you need a supervisor or a more senior member to dial in, uh, you know, see over their shoulder, right? See what I see type video to sign off uh, on what they're doing. Say, yeah, um, as the person's manager, I'm checking this off so they can move on to the next task. They can also walk a, uh, a more junior member through a more complex procedure, right? And being able to uh, support one to many as opposed to the old paradigm where maybe you have to drive out or fly out uh, spending that you know, time and money. So, so those are the main uh, two and they're focused more on enterprise. Uh, two other areas are um, for light visualization. So talking about yeah. you know, being able to place something in a, uh, a physical space to see how it looks, right? Oh, does, does this, you know, does this couch color look right with the rest of my decor. Uh, but uh, as we're getting more advanced functionality, it's also for architectural fit, right? Will this physically fit in my living space? Will this refrigerator fit in the space that I have allocated for it? Uh, things like that. And then the final one, more con much more consumer facing, uh, is um, just for customer engagement, right? Marketing and advertising uh, type augmented reality experiences. I'm sure we've seen a lot of those types of things um, where it's you know, entertainment value, um, uh, brand engagement value, things like Pokemon Go, uh, but also seeing with uh, what you've seen with the Weather Channel. I don't know if you've seen the use of that. So helping weather viewers understand uh, maybe kind of the severity of what they're trying to express to you. Uh, there's a great one, I think, from last year. And, and this is, is very appropriate for, for this time of year, where you have these storms and these floods coming, right? And you always hear about residents who decide they're just going to hunker down. Like, yeah, 10-foot wave, I, I. I've done it all before. Uh, but what uh, Weather Channel did was they uh, superimposed the height of the floods against the forecaster, the, 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 the weather forecaster, to just to show everyone, look, this is what a 10 foot, uh, uh, 10 feet of uh, uh, flood looks like, right? It comes up to here in the house. This is how much higher it is than, than this forecaster. Uh, maybe you should consider taking those warnings and evacuating. Do you think that the lack of implementation is maybe because of where the technology is currently at, or is it because there's just simply not enough compelling content for it yet? Both AR and VR have actually been around for decades. Um, so they're, they're, they're you know, fairly, I don't want to call them old technologies, but they've been around for quite some time. Um, but the reason that we call them, uh, we, we refer to them in their adolescence is because the version we have today is, is fairly new, right? If you wanted to do this 10 years ago, you needed hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars uh, to set up an AR or VR experience, right? You needed custom hardware, custom software, someone to write that software for you. Um, whereas now, as I'm sure you, you, you've seen from your research, you, you can probably literally walk down to the Best Buy, grab a headset, download something, and then off you go, right? Uh, or uh, similarly with AR, right? There are a bunch of SDKs available in the app stores. You download those, you make uh, you know, a quickie AR experience. For example, if you went out and you bought one of those higher-end uh, headsets, one, you would have to have a fairly high-powered uh, PC to run it, right? And that doesn't apply to everybody. And then on top of that, let's say you do have that PC for some reason, now you have to figure out how to uh, set it up, right? Attach the cables here and set up this and that. Uh, it's not quite as straightforward as 
other consumer electronics, right? Like a television. When I buy a television, for the most part, I don't know who does this, but I'll just take it out and turn it on and start watching, right? I, I, I'm not going to sit and read that manual. Whereas I think VR is a little bit uh, different in that sense. So, you know, the technology uh, in terms of performance as well as usability and then the content piece that you're talking about there as well as kind of that uh, price barrier for for the mass market i think for both ar and vr generally speaking it's gonna be five to ten more years before we see this happen um if you look at you know the research i've written or any of my forecasts i've been pretty consistent with this um so all the hype you tend to see like i don't know if you followed it even for the last three years but every year for the last three years was going to be the year. Put it in AR or VR, right? It, it, although I am excited and, and, and very enthusiastic about the potential here, um, th there's a little bit of a mismatch of um, expectations there, right? Say, so, oh, this is the year. It's kind of like if I told you, oh, next year we're going to have um, autonomous vehicles, right? Fully autonomous vehicles. And then it doesn't happen. And then I tell you, okay, no, next year, next year, next year again, right? Um, I think it kind of uh, dampens the market at a certain point because um, consumers are, are, are expecting something different than what is being delivered. So um, five to 10 years, I feel that we are making great progress, uh, but the expectations are, are, are uh, mismatched enough so that it doesn't seem like that, uh, at least to the casual observer. AR is used in another specialty, neuroscience. So I talked to Duye Tadin, who conducts research using VR at the University of Rochester and is also involved in a VR startup, NeuroTrainer, as a senior scientist. There's a lot of promises of VR, but I think for studying the brain, it has the potential to really revolutionize things. And I guess I'm not saying that lightly. Um, and so to little, give a little background is, for those of us who study the brain, we run experiments in the lab. And uh, we simplify those things. Usually people come to the lab, they sit at the chair, sometimes we even give them a chin rest so the head doesn't move. And we present things on monitors, which are usually very simple things like dots and bars moving or you know, just static images and have them make very simple responses. And from these kinds of, I would say, very unnatural situations, we're trying to make inferences about how the brain works and presumably how the brain works in a day-to-day -day real life. And the reason we've done that for decades now, because we need to control things. So we can't just have people running around in the parking lot because you know, the, day, you know, the weather changes, the cars change. We want to be able to have a case for every subject who comes to the lab experiences the, exactly the same environment, so that way we can run many people and have the control over things that uh, we can do proper science. Uh, what VR does, in a sense, it allows us to sort of have our cake and eat it um, because we can uh, have the control that we need. So we can really, you know, make sure that every person that puts a VR helmet sees exactly the same thing and we can really control what they see and experience. But what VR delivers and promises is we can create environments that are closer to what the real life is. So what's great about a VR is once you put the headset on, the person is in the same environment. They could be in New York, they could be in San Francisco, they could be in Beijing. Uh, you put a VR helmet on and you can give the same environment to people across the world and basically run experiments under essentially identical conditions. And what that has a promise of is 
scaling up um, the studies to thousands of ten thousands of people, it can really give us a much better science than, than running five people in one lab and then making conclusions that apply to all of humanity. So I think this ability to be able to just download an app and run an experiment in many places concurrently under the same conditions, and those conditions also being much more natural, I think this is, this is what I think where the revolution may come because you know, running in some experiments on tens of thousands of people can be very useful from perspective of scientists. So for your research, do you find that VR technologies are in a fairly mature stage? I would say somewhere between. I think they're mature enough to be usable and useful. Uh, and that wasn't the case maybe 10 years ago. I have a colleague who spent a lot of money setting up a VR lab in, in the late 90s, and people were just getting dizzy. That It just didn't work. And that would be the infancy stage. Right now, we can create environments fairly easily. Uh, in my lab, for example, we're running kids with autism and they can come in. It seems believable. It works fairly easily. There, there's still some issues, you know, how um, there's some sort of technical issues that are being solved and, you know, all the big companies are working on it. So I would say it's mature enough that they're going to be useful for research and I can see new things happening on maybe six month basis that are just gonna be producing new and new software and hardware that makes the, the thing bigger. So usually when we buy a headset, we use it for six months and then six months later, a new one comes out and it's already a lot better, a lot more portable, you know, easier to use. And it's been remarkable how quickly these updates have been happening. In terms of sort of consumer, um, consumer use, I think VR, if I'm being honest, is always going to be more of a specialty um, because to, to go into VR, you have to disconnect from your own world. Uh, I think the AR um, it has more potential to being a day-by-day you know, day day use by most people uh, because the, it's not about taking you away from the world. It's integrating in your own natural world, and that has a lot more opportunity to be part of the daily life. Then I really don't see most people going home and putting a VR helmet on every night and do something. Mm -hmm. I think doing for things like doing studies or doing you know clinical trials or this different types of cognitive training, that that's a more of a specialty use. And I think VR is going to be amazing there. I think that an average person is going to be using VR on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I, I may be wrong, but I think it's unlikely. To mm -hmm. me, if you really think about the, the principles and fundamentals of AR and VR. I think the goals are exactly the opposite. The, VR, the goal of VR is to create a new environment that's fully immersive and basically take you away from your current environment. It just creates something completely different that has no connection to the world you're looking at. The only connection is if you interact with physical objects around you, obviously you're going to be feeling that. But the visual and auditory information is meant to be completely different. The AR, on the other hand, if it works properly, it should integrate seamlessly with your normal environment around you. So it's the opposite. As opposed to removing you from, from the world, the idea is the, the more seamless the integration of AR becomes with the real world, the more effective and useful it's going to be. Um, and I think to me that they're often, I mean, even 
uh, I think this, the, a lot of places, they have AR and VR basically as part of the same acronym. And if you really think about it, they're, they do, the goals are the opposite. And I think AR, if it really takes off in a, in a direction that a lot of the big tech companies think it will, um, I'm thinking sort of Google Glass was a bit ahead of its time and then really didn't take off. But I think it's going to be more and more. A lot of car companies are in, integrating AR into, into their sort of visual presentation systems. Uh, I think it's going to be something that's probably going to be in most of our daily lives in a decade from now, if not sooner, in much the same way as the smartphones are. What do you think are some of the most notable use cases for VR in research? I think one area where there's a lot of promise um, in about the last 15 years in neuroscience, there's been a lot of emphasis placed on cognitive training and visual training. The idea that you can do certain things, they can improve your brain function, they can improve your visual perception, they can improve your memory. Um, and there's been a lot of different types of training interventions that were out there and none of them really delivered. Um, and I think the reason was is most of them kind of relied on the types of tasks that we use in the lab. And they're very simple, boring, repetitive, artificial. And you can kind of see where I'm going with this is when you, uh, when you take some of the same principles from brain science, the things that we know that if you do repetitively, it will actually improve your visual perception, your visual attention. Uh, if you take that knowledge that we have at the brain and package it in a way that's engaging, you know, gamified, gamified for lack of a better word, and exciting and, and visually, you know, not boring, then you can have a product or something that where people are really motivated to use, they're willing to repeatedly use the software and essentially go toward improving their perception, cognition, and, and attention. And I think that's one potential that I've been seeing both science and, and startups really putting a lot of effort in. I mean, when I had a 95-year-old person uh, put on a, on a VR headset and do this cognitive training uh, paradigm that, that I'm, I'm working with, it was remarkable how quickly he picked up on it because it feels natural. So I think in terms of the hardware is there, and now the hardware is still going to ha have to get better. There's some issues with optics. There's some issues that, with the fact that you are viewing things in 3D and they're meant to be you know, 10, 20 feet in front of you. But what's being presented in front of you is a screen that's maybe two inches away from your eye, which creates a conflict between, between different parts of the visual system. And some people can feel discomfort from it. And there's a lot of hardware work to kind of overcome those technical difficulties. But I think to me, that's just icing on a cake. I think this hardware is already usable enough for most purposes and that a lot of companies working on improve it, you know, but this is just you know, going from you know, a Honda Accord from 1990s to, to cars nowadays. They, they're still doing the same thing. They still drive you around. They just drive you somewhat more comfortably than the cars in the 90s. So I, I, what I really think is it's gonna be developed into software uh, and applications and finding the, the things where VR becomes useful and, and knowing in which context the VR is less useful.